The primary thing that self-centered people are missing is compassion. I have no compassion. Now, if you're upset with me, I will try to get you to stop being upset because it bothers me when you're upset. But I'm not really connected to what you're upset about. I don't really feel, I, I don't have empathy. I never developed it. I don't have empathy. So there really is no compassion in me. And I don't know that, but that's a common manifestation of self-centeredness, of egocentricity, is lack of compassion. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, my friends. That was the voice of Mr. Bill C. that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you are going to hear so much more from him in just a moment. But first things first, this episode... Right here, right now, is brought to you by Todd and Cassidy and Kurt and Patricia. Do you know what Todd and Cassidy and Kurt and Patricia did? Well, let me tell ya. They went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the little yeller donate tab and they made a contribution. Thank you very much, Todd, Cassidy, Kurt, and Patricia. This episode is coming right out to you guys, but we're going to let all the other folks listen in if that's all right with you. I, John M., will be the chair person for this meeting between meetings, and I am surely honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in right now. So take a seat around this virtual table, and let's get started with the meeting between meetings. I am releasing this particular episode on Thursday, and I generally, and a lot of you will know this, some of you don't, some of you really don't care which day I release this, but I generally speaking will release my episodes on Friday at the end of the week. What is the reason, John M., that you are releasing this particular episode on Thursday? Well, let me tell you, the reason I'm listening, excuse me, not listening, the reason I am releasing this episode on Thursday is so we we can give everybody a, a heads up for the Sober Speak Live event, which is coming up tomorrow, 
Well, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, it could be tomorrow. But anyway, if you're listening to this past May 8th at 7 p.m. Central, don't worry about any of this. But if you're listening to it before that time, we will be having a live event with Mr. Bill C., the guy that you're going to be listening to on this episode today. But this is a live event with him. And as I have said previously, all the Sober Speak live events in the past have been in North Texas. So you had to get your body and mind, I guess, and everything else that goes along with it to the North Texas area in order to see the Sober Speak live events. But this one, we are going to have on the big Zoom meetings and you don't have to travel anywhere. Well, you got to travel to your device, right? Your PC, your uh, uh, cell phone, your whatever you have. Uh, your iPad, you have to travel to that device and click on a link and come on in, but that's the only traveling that you have to do. Um, We will have the, uh, well, I'll have in the show notes a link to the live event, but we'll also have it on our website, www.soberspeak.com. And we will also have it uh, in, on whatever you want to say, in a, um, Uh, social media, which means Instagram and Facebook, so you can find it there. Mm, I want to make this uh, particular event uh, interactive, so I'm going to have some questions for Bill C. on the front end just to kind of get things cranked up, but then I'm going to open it up to uh, you guys to ask uh, some uh, questions directly to Mr. Bill C., and I'd love for you to join in on the party and help us along with that. If you have any questions and you don't know how to access social media and all that stuff, but you do know how to access email, send me an email to john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com. And I will say, try to get into the event early. Now, let me just be upfront with you. Uh, I am going to cap this, uh, or I am so far, at 500 attendees. We could get five attendees. I I really don't know. But Once it hits that 500 number, we're probably not going to let anybody else in if it ever gets to that 500 number. So in other words, just try to get through the meeting as soon as you possibly can. Our next live event will be with David G on June 5th. Now, I'm trying to work out the details. We may have it live in a church here. We may uh, have it via Zoom. I just don't know yet, but just be advised. All right, so. I wanted to read you a couple of things that I saw in the secret Facebook group this week. And one of them was posted by Mr. Gary Kay. A lot of you will know Gary Kay from this podcast. And he posted in there, which I loved. He says, serenity isn't freedom from the storm. It's peace within the storm. For whatever reason, that just struck me and I wanted to share it with you guys. Let me read that again. Serenity isn't freedom from the storm. It is peace within the storm. Hopefully that can help somebody today. And then Mona posted in the Facebook group an excerpt from page 13 of Bill's story. And in this excerpt, she has um, Ebby Thatcher and Bill Wilson's picture. And it's probably about the time they were both getting sober. Oh, it's very, uh, anyway, it's just great to see both of them. And it said, Ebby's promise, uh, and it's called basically Ebby's promise to Bill. 
And and Bill wrote about Abby. He says, my friend, Abby, promised when these things were done, I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator, that I would have the elements of a way of living, which answered all my problems. Belief in the power of God, plus enough willingness honesty, and a humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. Let me go ahead and read that again. Belief in the power of God, plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. Then Bill goes on, simple but not easy. A price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn in all things to the Father of light who presides over us all. If you want to look that up on your own, that is page 13 in Bill's story of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. All right, ladies and gentlemen, now we're on to Mr. Bill C. Steps 5 through 7. That's really all I need to say. Bill C. is going to talk about Steps 5 through 7. I know you're going to enjoy it, uh, and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Okay, everybody, so today we are back again with Mr. Bill C., beginning with step five. I believe we're going to make it a little farther than that. We shall see. But uh, Bill C., first things first, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, give your sobriety date, if you wish, and go ahead and uh, tell people what area of the world you live in. I'm Bill. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is March the 27th, 1985. So last Friday, I turned 35 years sober. And very, I am very nice. I am very impressed by that number. You and, should uh, be. <laughs> you know, I'm proud. I did it all myself. <laughs> Just like really concentrating, a lot of willpower, um, working the steps perfectly without error. And here I am at 35 years sober. <laughs> so that's the way you do it, I, huh? <laughs> I'm in Los Angeles where we're sober correctly. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's good to be here versus the other areas of the world. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was actually communicating with a uh, Sharon C over the past week and she had mentioned she had, I guess, seen you or heard you at your 35 year celebration. Uh, and she's my uh, buddy. Yeah. She's a good lady. She's going to come on, uh, the oh, podcast. Great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Last time we got together, we basically did an in-depth look at steps three and four, and uh, we kind of dabbled into five, if you will, but we didn't kind of officially get there. So today we're going to go with five. We'll try to get through six and seven as well, uh, and we'll just see where we land on this. So Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Now, Bill, when I think about this, I think about secrets. Uh, when I say this, the, the fifth step, and you know, a lot of people, as you know, will see this step on the wall, and they'll say, no way in hell am I going to do that. 
they're thinking about whatever is buried down inside them and has been buried for years and years and years. And they have a lot of reservations about doing anything like that. So what are your thoughts on step five? Well, the fourth and fifth step, I think we touched on this a little bit in the last one, but uh, it's where we really start to take responsibility for our own life. Um, the, the thrust of the inventory is we're looking for that fourth column or the extended third column, however you, whatever the Talmudic um, description of it is, um, where we're looking for our faults and mistakes. And we've reached the point now in this transformation that we're going through that we have to stop blaming the outside world, other people and institutions for, the, for our problems. And we talked a little bit before that the alcoholic life seems like the only normal one because it's the only one I've ever known. And one way that you justify that behavior is it, you can't take responsibility for, it, for yourself because it's indefensible. So you blame everyone else. And we, so the first list we have is this resentment list. People we're angry at people that wronged us. So in the fifth step, what my personal experience with the first one that I did, my sponsor uh, guided me through the process of the inventory. You know, he showed me the columns and instructed me how to do this. And so I went about doing it and I balked and whined and sniveled about it for about a month or so and finally got it done. And, uh, in the fifth step, when I would go down these resentments, he would ask me some questions. And the questions I look back on it now were just guiding me towards, uh, you know, people say, what was my part? Well, maybe there's no part. It doesn't really say that in the book. It says, what are my faults and mistakes? Hmm. Now, an example would be like, let's say this did not happen to me, but I've, I've run into this. This is a common thing you run into where you were molested as a child, the evil uncle or whoever it might have been, and, and you were molested. So now you're 35, 40 years old, you're getting sober, and you've got this perpetrator on your resentment list. And you get to that fourth column and you say, what was my part? There's no part. You were absolutely an innocent victim. Um, but if you're 40 years old, 35, however old you are, and you're carrying this resentment out around with you, at the bare minimum, you're unforgiving. I mean, just, and then the response is, well, of course I'm unforgiving. I can't forgive that act. It was awful. And there's this illusion, like, if I forgive, then I'm actually agreeing with what happened. And, and this isn't the case. What it is, it's about removing that resentment that's within you so that you don't carry this into the next relationship and the next relationship and the next relationship. I mean, these kinds of things can be the fire, the engine that drives your life. My reason for existence is to hate this individual and to, you know, take this out on the world around me, this horrible thing that happened to me. Do you want to be free of that? And I, th I believe the answer would be yes. Why would anybody would say, no, no, I want to carry this around with me. I want to continue suffering over this transgression that occurred to me when I was a small child. Nobody would say that. Well, the illusion is that the person I hate feels it, mm -hmm. and they don't. You feel it. 
Mm. The perpetrator doesn't feel your anger, your rage. You do. Mm. And I think there's this belief that I, have you ever hated somebody really good? Then on a certain day, you missed a day hating them. So the following day, you have to hate them extra to make up for the day you missed. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of rage we're talking about. This kind of, you keep, you keep it alive. You keep nursing it and, and milking it. And, and this becomes who you are. It's an aspect of your nature. It defines Everyone you. has a little bit of this. It defines you. Yeah, everybody. And some people have huge ones. You know, I've listened to fifth steps that just shocked the hell out of you, what has happened to people in the past. So I think the goal here is to rid yourself of this. So in that fourth column, you look and you say, okay, I'm vengeful. I retaliated. I did, you know, and it didn't come from a vacuum. Something actually happened. But then your reaction to it, your response to it, maybe it's over the top. That's what we're looking at. That's what we're trying to find. We're trying to get at the, at maybe not the root cause of it, but we're, talk, we're trying to get at your participation in the insanity of whatever happened, whatever went, was going on. Now, for me, it was my father was at the top of the list. I really didn't like him. I, I mean, I just really disliked him. He didn't like me much either. And, and so here this guy is, and I, I wrote down, you know, my father, you know, he did this, he did that. I listed the transgressions and then how it affected me. So in the, in the fifth step, you know, I'm going down this and there, there wasn't much in that fourth column. You know, I couldn't really, you know, I'm, I'm five months, six months sober. You know, there, there wasn't a lot of understanding. I knew what the thrust was, but I, there just wasn't there. I mean, this guy did this to me and he, that's why I dislike him. You know, what could I put down? So my sponsor asked me questions. He goes, well, what kind of kid were you? You know, what, you know, how did you respond to this? You know, I said, well, I was a nasty, demonic child. You know, I, I, I was the spawn of Satan. You know, I was a bad kid. You know, I was in a lot of trouble all the time from a young age. And, you know, and, and well, how do you suppose your father reacted to this? You know, and I said, well, you know, no father likes it. So it started coming clear, you know, was my dad doing anything to me or was he responding to the way that I was behaving? Did he make mistakes? What father doesn't make a mistake? I mean, you know, raising children is on the job training. And, and so what came out of that really was my reaction to his behavior was way over the top compared to what he did to me. He never beat me or raped me or anything. It wasn't like that. You know, I mean, it was this. So anyway, the fifth step, my sponsor was taking notes. When I did the fifth step, he wrote some stuff down. You know, I thought maybe he was going to send it in to Time Magazine or Life Magazine or something because it was such, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't know what I thought, but I noticed he's taking notes. I go, wow, you know, he's taking notes. Sometimes when I'm doing hearing fifth steps, I'll take notes with guys, you know, not so much, but early on I used to do that because that's what he did. And what he told me later, what he was looking for is he was looking for stuff that was going to go on my resentment list that maybe I wouldn't perceive it that way because he's listening to me in a different way than I'm delivering it. You know, he's, he's all the, all the rationalization is explanation. He's throwing it out and he's looking at incidences and transgressions and so on, so, this and that, you know? And so in this fifth step at the end of it, this is, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't talk about, 
it does say that we told all of our life story, but it doesn't really talk about the dark secrets and stuff like that. It isn't, I mean, what it, what it is specifically, the inventory is a list of resentments and of fears and broken intimate or sexual relationships, negative ones, not, not just any sex that you've had with anybody in the world. I mean, it isn't about that. It's looking for where was I selfish and dishonest? Did I instill jealousy? Did I, that's what it's looking for. It's looking for, as it says in the beginning, the negative, immovable parts of the inventory, the stuff that's not selling. You know, some people say we make a list of the good and the bad. It doesn't say that. It's not looking for that, you know, and it isn't a narrative. It's three specific lists. And in the telling of it, you kind of tell your life story. You know, you go back through when you were a kid and teachers that you didn't like or whatever it is. You know, usually the story comes out, but it's not specifically looking for that. You know, it's, it's a list of inventory that's not moving, that's not serving any good purpose. So in this fifth step, he asked me at the end, he says, is there anything that you haven't told me that you're not going to tell me? This is a new category. This is found information. It doesn't say that in the book, you know, specifically. Mm-hmm. But he asked me the question, you know, is, is there anything that you're not going to tell me? And I hemmed and hawed, and I went, well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There was that one stinky thing. wasn't a big thing. I had a personal relationship with a vacuum cleaner. It was a little embarrassing, (laughs) you know. And and I told him this. Usually, those are the things, that's who we think we are, is that weird stuff that we do when no one else is around. It's Mm. usually something like that. It's been my experience. Some weird, creepy thing you did when you were a kid, and you're, there's never any reason to tell anybody that. I mean, it was it doesn't really what it, what do you what do you do with that information? But for some odd reason, even after all the therapy I'd been through for years, mental institutions and stuff, I told this guy that really ridiculous thing. You know, that re- really creepy thing. And he just kind of laughed, you know, I mean, he, and it wasn't like he shared some of his with later on that happened, but in this particular, this was my turn, right? This was my turn. So I do the fifth step and we were sitting out on the beach, you know, like when I showed up at his house, he was sitting out on the sand. He lived right on the beach. And I thought, shouldn't this be done in a dark room somewhere, you know, (laughs) and there are people walking around and shit, you know, I mean, it was really, it was totally inappropriate. He was all giggly and having a good time with it. You know, I thought this was a very somber experience, you know. And uh, (laughs) so I do the fifth step, and he tells me the classic thing. He says, go somewhere and sit for an hour. Go somewhere, you know, where you can be by yourself and take the book with you, you know. Sit, Sit somewhere quietly for an hour and reflect on the work that you've done. And if there's anything you think you've left out, call me and tell me, you know. But read the first few steps. Read, you know, and, and as the work you've done, has it been good? Have you, is it thorough? So I did that. I went up in Palos Verdes up on the cliffs, and I sat down on the side of this hill and looked at my book, and I, I actually did what he told me. The other thing he said to me was, he said, now, when you go back into your house, when you stick the key in the door to go in your house, Think about the guy that's walking in the door today compared to the guy that walked in that door six months ago. Hmm. Think about that. Reflect on that. 
And I did that. I went home, I drove home and I went in and I, and actually, strangely enough, the, the kids and the wife were gone. So the door was locked. I actually had to put the key in the door to open the door, which is, uh, you know, I don't, another one of those odd coincidences, you know, and I opened the door and I thought about, I stood on my porch and I thought, and what came to me, it was a seminal moment for me. What came to me is, my God, it's going to be like this now. Now, I wasn't really sure what this was, but I knew the old life was over. Now, the way I describe that, it's a knowingness that transcends the intellect. It isn't so much a conscious intellectual thought as it's just a grasping of my God, everything's different now. A knowingness that transcends, transcends the, the intellect. intellect. You just get it. You know, and then and then you try to apply words to that experience and they just kind of fail. But the best thing I've heard is I think it was uh Sailor Bob, one of his books, is he talks about a knowingness that transcends the intellect. It's like when you're meditating and you hear a bird chirp, you don't think to yourself that's a bird. You just know it's a bird. And as soon as you start thinking about that, then you've ruined the moment. But there is a knowingness, an understanding that transcends the intellect. Those are spiritual experiences. And we spend the rest of our lives, like some of us do, trying to describe that verbally. And it, it you know, that's why some of, the, some of the spiritual teachers are more famous than others. Some of them do it really well. You know, they get closer than others. Mm -hmm. But there's all kinds of different voices out there. There's some voice that will speak to you and not to me. I mean, it just depends. You know, there's a certain vibration that rings. So anyway, that was the day, that was the day I said my first really honest prayer. Because I was not a prayer. I thought it, prayer was silly to me and stupid, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But at that day, I said a prayer and I invited God over for a barbecue. I couldn't think of anything else to do. I mean, I felt stupid even doing it, but I sat on my chair in my living room. Nobody was home. Thank God I didn't want anybody to catch me praying. God forbid somebody should see me praying. <laughs> and I was alone, so I said this prayer. I said, this is a nice place. You might like it here. It's comfortable. You know, something like that. Did you and say that you invited this, God over for a barbecue? For a barbecue, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't, you know, th that's just what I came up with. That's what came out of the air, <laughs> you know, who knows? And, uh. So that was the big day when I did that fifth step. That was a big moment. Now, <clears throat> out of that fifth step, some of the notes he was taking, later on when we sat down, he brought to my attention what he called some patterns that he could see. He helped me essentially with the fourth column. He brought things to my, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're vengeful, you retaliate, you, you know, this kind of stuff. You know, I can't remember this so long ago now. I don't remember the specifics of it. And later inventories, it became the inventories that I did after that. What you're looking for is the fourth column. I mean, when I do an inventory today, I know it's not anybody else's fault. Back then, I didn't know that. I mean, you know, I knew it. In, he had told me that, but it didn't really that first thing, I, I've kept it too. I don't, when I'm not, I'm not a bird, don't burn the inventory, keep it, you know, because you want to refer to it. And some, every once in a while, I'll, I'll stumble across it and I'll look at it and I go, that was 
Was it thorough? No, of course not. Was it good? Yeah, it was good, but it wasn't thorough. I didn't, you know, I don't know enough to be really thorough. The one I did at 10 years sober when everything fell apart was really good. You know, it was well-written, very focused, you know, it was like that kind of thing. Cause you know, you know, you know what you're looking for. That first one, I didn't know really what I was looking for, but I got it. I understood what he was talking to me about. And I knew innately that I can't bl- keep blaming people for my problems. You know, I mean, that's just, it's so high schooly. you know, you kind of know that, you know? And uh, so anyway, we sat down and we talked about some of these patterns, you know, in the, in the sixth and seventh step. Now the sixth and seventh step in the big book are two paragraphs. It's just two paragraphs. That's it. You know, you become willing and you humbly ask and, and they have the silly prayer in there, the seven step prayer, right? So he told me when you go sit on the hill and you say the prayer and six and seven is over. That's it. And I thought, well, there's got to be more to it than that. Well, yeah, yeah, you'd be working those two steps for the rest of your life. Did he have me make a list of my character defects? Not specifically. Uh, we, we talked about it. You know, he talked about my vengeful attitude and some of the stuff that I did and some of the ways in which I create havoc and, you know, the fact that I, you know, cheated on any, every person I'd ever been with, any woman I'd ever been with, you know, I was a cheater. And I was like, you know, we, and we, we talked about it and I, I got that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm an AA, you know, I'm six months sober. I, I get some stuff. It's not like I don't know. I'm not going to defend my position. And that seemed ridiculous. You know, this guy clearly wasn't a therapist. He wasn't interested in my explanations of why I did certain things. He would just snicker you know, and now we're going to move on, right? So my thing about the six and seven is you don't have to make a list of character defects because now that you're awake and you're paying attention, they will come and visit you with alarming regularity, you know? (laughs) It's just like, and now you ceased blaming others, right? I mean, you're still going to do it, but you know you can't get away with it anymore. You just know, you know? You're going to rage against the government. You're going to rage against the Department of Motor Vehicles. You're going to rage against cops. I did all that for years, for, for a couple of decades more. You know, I was still, but I knew in my heart, this is not working. You know, I mean, the, the powers that be are always going to win. I am powerless, and I, and, I, and I struggle with that whole idea of it. But the character defects, there they are. There they are, you know, six and seven, my my friend Steve says, he says, we're really good at six. We're really good at being willing to have these negative aspects of our nature removed. We just don't humbly ask, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't, we do six, we don't do seven. We just don't humbly ask. And that has certainly been true for me. You know, I mean, I'm a self-reliance guy. We're going to work this stuff out. It's very important that you realize that I'm right, therefore you're wrong. All of that stuff has created nothing but chaos in my life. And I have hung on to that for years and years and years. But as the time rolls on, I know that that isn't producing anything for me. I'm not, I'm not winning anything. The victor only seems to win, it says in the book, right? That's me, you know. Uh, the classic line my sponsor says, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? My response to that is, how come I'm not happy when I'm right? Mm-hmm. 
when you're right, that should be good. And people mm-hmm. should realize that you're right. And then you're happy, right? It doesn't seem to work like that. People are not impressed with my rightness, you know, and I, 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 I still, that's a conundrum for me, you know, <laughs> I, I am get Bill. It. Yeah. <laughs> so the other aspect of character defects, Wilson was always asked the question, what's the difference between defects of character and shortcomings? And he claims he just didn't want to repeat himself. So he did, he wanted to use a different phrase. But here's something that really works for me. A friend of mine years ago laid this on me. He says, a defect of character is some aspect of your nature that you exhibit that doesn't serve you well. You know, you maybe you're angry or you're pushy or you're a bully or something like that. It doesn't serve you well. A shortcoming is something that's completely missing, that you never gained this attribute. Somewhere you missed the lesson. I really like that. And I think back to my premise that what's happening in recovery is that we're growing up emotionally. That's what's going on. That as we drank all through the teenage years when all the lessons were being handed out, we didn't get those lessons. We didn't learn. When I got here at 37, I had the emotional development of, say, a 16-year-old. And he wasn't an honor student. This is a kid with the problem with authority. That kid that wants to be right. He's an arguer. He's a child of chaos. You know, there's stuff always flying around the room. Somebody's always pissed off. Some, somebody's, somebody, Bill's always in trouble. Bill's always in trouble. So here's that kid. So he's going to grow up now. He's going to grow up. And what is it he's missing? What is this shortcoming that's really causing the problems? Because the obvious defects of character are easy to see. I'm not stupid. I get it. I know I'm argumentative. I know I'm kind of a bully. I, I get all that. I can see that. And in seeing that, ha- having being awakened and seeing that, I can start kind of smoothing the rough edges off of it, you know, because of just through awareness, just being, just being aware. What about stuff that I don't have that I've never experienced? How would I know that I don't have this? I've never had it. I don't know there's anything missing. And I suspect that if I feel a certain way, you probably feel very much the same way. How would I know any different? Mm-hmm. I can't stand outside myself and have a separate experience compared to the one that I'm having to determine that there's anything wrong. I don't know that. I don't have objectivity. I, can't, I, don't, I haven't developed the skill of the watcher yet. You know? The skill I'm just, of the watcher. Yeah, I'm just, I have awareness, but I'm not really, and the, the missing parts are confusing to me. The primary thing that self-centered people are missing is compassion. I have no compassion. Now, if you're upset with me, I will try to get you to stop being upset because it bothers me when you're upset. But I'm not really connected to what you're upset about. I don't really feel, I don't have empathy. I never developed it. I don't have empathy. So there really is no compassion in me. And I don't know that, but that's a common manifestation of self-centeredness, of egocentricity, is lack of compassion. I'm not really, everything's happening to me. Everything is personal, you know, and the truth is that nothing is personal, but every, to me, everything's personal. I am in that respect. I'm behaving as though I am the center of the universe. That when something happens, it's happening to me. It's not happening to all of us. It's happening to me. Now, you know, in this lockdown, 
that there are people sitting home alone, really complaining about what's happening to them. This is awful. This shouldn't be. Look what it's doing to me. There isn't the sense within many people that this is happening to all of us. This is an experience that we're all involved in. Because of the Zoom thing and Alcoholics Anonymous, I think we get it. You know? I mean, our job, our job now is to reach out to people that are in trouble. I'm going to do a little uh, announcement here. We will be continuing our conversation with Bill C. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. There you will find about 130 other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website if and only if the spirit moves you to use that. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. SoberSpeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Bill C. So I want to talk a bit, little bit about the phenomena that we have been going through. Uh, you and I were kind of talking off mic a little before we started here, um, and I know you've been invited to uh, uh, several different uh, speaker meetings or Zoom meetings, uh, and it's a little bit of a different experience. So why don't you talk about the world and, you know, kind of what you see going on at this moment, uh, and especially uh, in terms of uh, AA and how we have responded? I think this has been a remarkable experience. I mean, certainly it is. I mean, you don't have to be an AA to realize how remarkable this experience is, you know. It is truly, literally affecting the entire world. It is a crisis of a nature that it, I don't know that anybody's ever really experienced something like this. And being aware of it with communications the way it is, you know what's going on everywhere in the world, real time, like right now. And uh, in AA, when this came down, let, let's say we're into it now in a real sense for about three weeks. And in that three-week period, the explosion of Zoom meetings <clears throat> all over the world has just been remarkable to witness. And I'm 72 years old, so I'm, I'm, I'm an old guy. And I'm surrounded by young guys. You know, there's, there's old guys, there's middle-aged guys, and then there's young guys. The young guys have the technology. Some of us older guys are a little technical, you know, I mean, I'm, I've had computers and stuff since the late seventies. So I'm in business, in the business world. I, so I'm a little bit hipper than maybe my buddy sitting next to me that still has a flip phone. You know, I mean, I'm a, I, I have a smartphone and I love playing with it and I spend too much time on it. So I'm kind of in that middle ground. <clears throat> but when this came down, a bunch of us, a uh, handful of us got together and said, what are we going to do about our home group, man? What's going to happen? Somebody says, Zoom. We're going to Zoom. We're going to set up a Zoom meeting. You know how to do that? Yeah. So we had a couple of meetings and we're Zooming. You know, we, we started Zooming right away. And I thought, well, this is kind of cool. And you start learning it. And within the two to three weeks, it has exploded. And it's been a phenomenal thing to be a part of. It really interesting. Now, the first sense of it is you're resistant. This isn't right. We can't see each other. There's no hugging. There's no, you know, 
all the extroverts are going, this is a bummer, man. I'm sitting at home, you know. The introverts are going, this is great, but I shouldn't be isolating like this. I'm confused because I don't mind this at all. You know, I kind of like this, but I shouldn't be doing this. It's not good for my program. You know, so there's all this shit going on, you know, all these different reactions. And so you get on the Zooming and it just all comes out because we all, everybody's sharing. God knows we want to share, you know, I mean, we, we got to share. That's part of what we do. If we can't share, we're in trouble, you know, and you know, I heard this the other day and this several times, but one of them was classic where this one person was saying, he, he says, you know, by nature, I'm an introvert. I don't mind isolating at all. I've isolated most of my life. And now here's a perfect opportunity, a justification for isolation. And I don't like it anymore. It's like, not this kind of isolation. You know? It's like, and it's hilarious, but people are sharing, right? So here's the thing that I see about this that has benefited me anyway. Because I don't like it. I don't like being shut down. I'm an extrovert. You know, I'm a talker. I mean, that's what I do. Evidently, like we were talking, that seems to be my lot in life. That's what I do, you know, one-on-one or groups or whatever it is. That's the thing. Okay, Bill's a good tool. He can do that. Let's, let's let Bill do that, you know. So... I'm resistant. I don't like the way it is. I don't like the flat screen. I'm, I'm doing a speaker meeting and I'm looking at everybody on my big iMac and they're laying on the couch and they're playing with the dog and they're eating dinner and they're smoking, you know, and there's <laughs> no feedback coming back. And I, I don't like this. So there's a couple of ways you can take it. One is this shouldn't be, which is our classic suffering point. You know, the reality is incorrect and it needs to be changed and I'm miserable. <laughs> so then we start talking what this is what you got. You got to accept it. You don't have to like it, but you have to accept it. Okay. So the second way to look at it was thank God we've got this. Thank God it isn't zero. You know, if you look at it like that, you just get involved. You get into the technology of it. You get, get into it, like lean into it. This is what I've got. All of us, a lot of the guys I've been sober with for a long time, we're talking about, we've never been to so many meetings. I mean, I'm doing way too much AA, you know, it's like there's people are inviting you to their Zoom meeting. They want you to come and talk at it. They just want you to participate. My home group is the Hermosa Beach Men's Stag, right? Over the years, it's an old meeting. Over the years, bunches of guys have moved away. They've moved up to Washington or Oregon or somewhere overseas, somewhere in Phoenix. My sponsors moved to Sedona. Now, when we have our Men's Stag, all these guys show up. I and mean, we max the thing out by a hundred, you know, we, you know, the Zoom thing. But it's so cool because you get to see guys that you haven't seen in years. You know, they they show up and it's all funny and there's a lot of schmoozing going on. You got to calm everybody down so we can have the meeting, you know. But there is a fellowship there, you know. My buddy Caleb, you know, I haven't seen Caleb in years. God, it's good to see you, man. How are you doing? Well, I got divorced. And, you know, it's like, you know, it's, but it's really, there's something really kind of beautiful about it. And watching it grow up, watching it happen, I'll tell you something. Another feeling I have, Alcoholics Anonymous is in really good hands. You know, the, the people that are really generating all of this are the younger guys, the younger people in AA that know this technology. They know what's going on. And they held me by the hand and me and my old buddies and said, come on, Bill, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Just relax. You know, we got this. And they're the ones that are running the meetings. They're the ones that are, you know, I mean, it's really been fascinating to see. It's another 
another form of togetherness about we're all in this together. I'm not alone in this. I am not sitting here in my house alone. I have people supporting me. I think it's a good thing. I don't think it'll go away either. I think this will stay. Right. That's exactly what I was going to say. We were talking a little bit before we started uh, in that uh, these Zoom meetings are, you know, I mean, I don't breathe as deep uh, when I'm on a Zoom meeting versus being in person. But like you said, it's definitely better than nothing. And a lot of people, as you know, we, both you and I, you live in Los Angeles. I live in the Dallas, Texas area. You know, we... We could throw a stone and get to a meeting, uh, you know, a physical meeting, but there are people in all areas of the world that don't have that plethora of meetings that are all around them. And I, I hope that this does continue, especially for people like that, maybe moms who can't get out to meetings for whatever reason, people who are ill uh, can't get out to meetings, and it's really a good thing. I saw a post in the uh, the Facebook group that I'm part of the other day, and it was this guy. He was sitting down. It's like this big control room, looked like NORAD or something like that. And he had all these monitors up around him with screens. And the caption below it was, is like, well, maybe I can make 90 meetings in one day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I spoke in a meeting in Tipperary, Ireland the other day, and I thanked them for giving us alcoholism. That it was really <laughs> honored to be able to speak in Mecca. Mm. And didn't you say that, you know, uh, one of the previous episodes, we were chatting a little bit about the, 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 the email that you have, by the way, for those who want to get on Bill's daily email list, it's Bill C at kitchen table, uh, If you send your email to him, he will put you on that list. But we were talking about that list and how it got started. And you mentioned a gentleman named Ed, I believe from, is it the Netherlands? Is that right? Yeah. In the Hague. And so you were able to join a meeting that they had over there recently, like a Zoom meeting. Is that there, right? There, there was, it was the anniversary of his death, and we were going to um, uh, have a get-together. Well, when this corona thing broke up, so it didn't happen. So they just had a meeting, and they invited me and my sponsor, Jay, and we got on the meeting, and it was just kind of an honorarium to Ed. And we told Ed stories and made fun of him and you know, and, and a lot of guys he sponsored, he left a big legacy behind him. He and his uh, lady, Monica, actually started Cocaine Anonymous in the Netherlands, and it has spread throughout Europe, and it's it's a remarkable story, actually. And uh, a lot of the guys that were there, you know, when he passed and stuff were at this meeting, and it was good to see, see them and talk about and tell Ed's stories. It was a great memorial for him. He was a wonderful guy. He was a dear, dear friend of mine. Very nice. Yeah. So I bet your meeting, uh, your uh, your schedule has been very busy since anybody can get you to speak. Now, I mean, technically speaking, I mean, no pun intended, they can get you on a Zoom meeting. They don't have to fly you out somewhere. Has your schedule yeah. been packed? Well, yeah. I mean, and a lot of other people too. I mean, there's, you know, it's it's been kind. It's it's fun, but I mean, like anything, it can get you can get overloaded with it. You know, where you. You're just sitting all day talking at meetings and doing stuff like that, you know, but it is fun. They're putting conferences are popping up now. My sponsor's on one today, giving a history thing at a bunch of guys from New Orleans put this together and got a bunch of speakers and they're all zooming in. And so AA is alive and well, you know, the conferences are happening. The meetings are happening. Um, 
you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a wonderful thing to watch. It's a wonderful thing to be part of. And, and I, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I'll do whatever I can do. And I, I have a lot of fun with it. It's not, it's not a, uh, um, imposition on me. It, it's just, you can't do everything. You can't, you know, you, you've right. got other things to do, you know, but, uh, it is really cool to watch. It's been fun. I mean, this whole thing with, uh, when something like this happens, it's within our nature in AA for us to implode inward on ourselves. A lot of people suffer from depression and they're just kind of naturally depressed. You know, there's different levels of it. You know, I've had depression in my life, but not like some people do. But here's an opportunity for us, the people that are sober in AA, and you don't have to be sober that long, is I'm really good at answering the phone. When people call, I'll answer the phone. I'm not really good at making phone calls. And that became very apparent. I'm sitting here in my house, you know, and thinking, well, what will I do? Here I am. I got nothing to do. Well, pick up the damn phone. Mm -hmm. Call people you know have a hard time calling. Mm -hmm. Call those people. Right. Say, hey, Keith, how you doing, man? I was just thinking about you. What are you doing? And you, you can bring some light into the room. My wife and I go in the neighborhood. We go for walks around here, right? And there'll be other couples, and everybody will like avoid you, walk on the other side of the street. And I yell at them, don't touch me. Get away from me. <laughs> and then everybody starts laughing. It just breaks the pall, you know? And we're really good in AA. We're really good at bringing light into a dark room. We're, we're, we're uniquely positioned to survive crises. Mm. We're survivors, you know? And in sobriety, you learn how to bring light into the room. You know, mm. friends of yours get sick. They're in the hospital. You can walk in that hospital room and say really inappropriate stuff that family members can't say and make people laugh. <laughs> and this situation is exactly the same thing. You know, you don't have to be stupid about it, but you can bring light in. You can be friendly. And within your fellowship, wherever you are in the world, you can pick up the phone and reach out and touch people. And I'll tell you what, you'll find this to be true. I've called some people and have them say, I can't believe you called me. I'm so glad you called me. You hear that. Not every time, but a lot of times, how, how much it means to people mm -hmm. when someone reaches out and calls. Because there's so many of us that don't have a whole lot of self-worth and self-esteem. We don't think anybody cares. We kind of come from that place. You know, so you don't have to sit around and mope about the situation. You can be proactive. You can reach out to people. You can do it. It's not that hard. And once you start, once you break the ice, it gets you out of yourself. I mean, any spiritual path is about disidentification with self. It's not about me. It's not happening to me. It's happening to all of us. And my default mode is, oh, my God, look what's happened to me. I mean, I'm 72. I got a suppressed immune system. I'm a liver transplant. And it's really easy for me to be scared shitless that I'm going to catch this stuff and it's going to kill me, right? And what possible good does coming from that position do you? It doesn't do me any good, you know. So I pick up the phone. I reach out to people. You know, people call me. I'm fortunate that way. People call me. You know, friends. I have friends. You know, it's not all sponsees, but people call me. I've got a new guy in a recovery place, and he asked me to sponsor him just before all this crap came down. And I went over to the recovery house. 
which I didn't like doing because it's an imposition. I'm fucking lazy, you know? And <laughs> so, I, you know, so I go there and immediately we start having a good time. I start making fun of everybody and they give me, you know, it's fun. It's a recovery place. There's weirdos in there and I love the weirdos. <laughs> so I read the book with this guy. Well, after that, this Corona thing came down. I can't, I don't, I should not marry. My wife told me, don't you go there. You know, you stay here. So we start doing this over the phone, you know, and we're doing it over like a Skype thing on the phone. You know, he calls me. He's a young guy, right? So he's calling me. So we're reading the book together, Chapman. He calls me every day. This guy calls me every day. They never call you every day. You tell them to, but they never do. But this guy's on it. He's got nothing to do, right? And he's after it, right? So I finally, I started to tell him, I said, dude, you are making me sponsor you. This is really uncomfortable for me, you know? You know, he starts doing his inventory. Next day, he calls me. He goes, okay, I got the resentment list. And I, you know, you're kidding me. I told him, I said, you're not alcoholic. You know, you're not procrastinating. What is this? This is, You must have some other problem, you know? Well, he's a meth guy, you know, with those guys are quick, you know? So, so, so I have this relationship with this guy, man. He is on it, you know? I mean, I've got to call him back. He's got his sex list done now. You know, we're doing, we're doing the work. Now, I'm not going to meetings, right? I mean, it, it is literally being delivered to me. Right. What I am supposed to do is literally being delivered to me without a lot of effort on my part. Mm-hmm. All I have to do is be receptive to it and let it happen. And that's true for anybody. I mean, all of us, all you people out there that are suffering through this crisis, you are not alone. You have us. You're an Alcoholics Anonymous, you will never, ever be alone again for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is open the door. You don't even have to be that proactive. You just got to do this the bare minimum, and it will come flooding in. All right, Mr. Bill. This has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Well, thank um, you. I'm going to go ahead and uh, close it out here with uh, page 164 of the big book, and it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, like me and Mr. Bill C., as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, thank you so much, Mr. Bill. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, you know. Wash your hands. Okay, well. (laughs) Thank you so much, Mr. Bill C. From the bottom of my heart to yours, that was absolutely fantastic. I so much enjoy spending time with you, and I know the listeners enjoy it when you're able to come in here and uh, record an episode with me. It's just absolutely fantastic. If you are listening to this and you think you know a of, a of a friend or family member that may benefit from hearing that same episode, why don't you go ahead and uh, pause your device and share it out with uh, that friend or family member so they can benefit from it as well and maybe just what they need to hear today all right now what everyone has been waiting for don't deny it it's time for a little bit of listener feedback and we got some great listener feedback this week we always have great listener feedback but it is uh i don't know i'm just looking at some of these uh 
uh, messages here, and uh, I just know you all are going to enjoy this. So nonetheless, here we go. Steve writes in, and Steve wrote in regarding the Brittany W. episode, which is episode number 130. And Steve said, hey, John, I hope all is well with you. It's been a while since I've reached out. I listened to the episode with Brittany W. I thought she was fantastic. Can you ask her what the date was that her sponsor passed? Was it the 17th or the 10th? And um, for those of you who have not listened to that episode yet, uh, it's episode 130 with Brittany. She talks about how her sponsor passed away like the week before we recorded uh, in their AA meeting. And uh, it was uh, quite a, a dramatic scene. And so I said, sure, I, I'm more than happy to do that, uh, but I'm, I, I'm sure she's going to ask why. Can, do you mind sharing that? And he said, sure, John. My dad passed away on Friday, April 10th, Good Friday, from COVID-19. I think I've been a bit numb. I haven't really grieved like I expected to until I heard Brittany share about her sponsor, not sure why, John, but it seems to have opened the floodgates. I just think her story about her sponsor, I just think about her story and about her sponsor, and the tears flow hard. And I wasn't real sure whether I should go ahead and share this or not, so I emailed Steve back and I said, hey, are you okay if I go ahead and share this? It's kind of personal. And he says, yeah, John, you can share it. It's a bit funny, when I initially wrote you the email, I was going to ask you not to share in listener feedback, but the whole point of her share, Brittany's share, was how a higher power creates coincidences to give us what we need when we follow the program. And he, the higher power, used her share, Brittany's share, to give me what I needed to be able to channel my grief. I'm tearing up just thinking about it right now. Thank you for all you do, John. It's a blessing, Steve. Steve, God bless you. God bless your family. And uh, I'm so glad that Brittany could be part of your journey. Keep me posted, my friend. Kim writes in and Kim says, I just discovered this podcast a couple of weeks ago. I haven't had a drink since October 16th of 2009, but I quit on my own and I've been having a hard time lately. You've heard the story, quote, I haven't drank in 10 years, so it must not have been a big as problem as I thought it was. I bet I could drink now. I'd like to try it again, unquote. Yeah, I've heard that, Kim. But I happened to be in the in my library uh, the day it was closing due to coronavirus, and I wanted to get as many books as I could before the home isolation started. At this point, they discouraged random browsing, but I took a quick look on the quote new nonfiction unquote section, and there was the newly reprinted version of the very first 1939 edition of the big book. This just seemed like meant to be in all caps. 
because I just happen to be a lover of all things vintage. I live in an old house decorated with old things, and I dress and I dress vintage on a daily basis. And late 30s, early 40s is my favorite era. <laughs> that sounds very cool, Kim. So I grabbed the book, brought it home with me. I've never been to an AA meeting, and I've been pretty atheist for years, and I didn't think I would relate, but I've read the whole book, and now I'm reading it again. I'm trying to get my nerve up to go to a meeting. I haven't drank in 10 plus years, but I don't like that I, but I don't think that I've been, quote, sober, unquote, either. I'm tired of doing this alone. I searched for AA podcasts and found yours. I have been listening to the older ones first, and they are helping me. Thank you and your guests for making these episodes, Kim M. Oh, Kim. And I wrote her back and I said, you know, don't be concerned about the atheist, the atheist thing. And uh, she says, oh, don't worry, I'm not. So she's got it. And, uh, you know, and I suggested some Zoom meetings and, you know, there's all kinds of ways to get uh, involved during this time. And uh, I had someone also reach out to her, a good friend of mine, um, because I thought that she may need some additional resources. And Kim, I'm so glad that you wrote in. Cassidy writes in, and Cassidy says, Hello, John. I live in Cincinnati. Is it Cincinnati or Cincinnati? Anyway, Ohio. I am 25 years old, and I just celebrated four months of sobriety. Good for you, Cassidy. I am, I am extremely grateful for this journey that I have set out on. I found AA by supporting a friend and going to my first meeting with her. During the meeting, it was like everyone was speaking directly to me. And I finally admitted that, yes, I am indeed an alcoholic. It happens to a lot of people, Cassidy. I love it. And she says, I cried and I was overwhelmed with the feelings of emotions that I was experiencing. Just after my 60 days, I asked a woman to be my sponsor. We immediately started working the steps, and I have not looked back. There have been plenty of highs and lows within these few short months. I already know that I am in for a wild ride. <laughs> no more numbing all the things that don't feel good. I am currently working on my four step right now. I feel like I'm making excuses not to complete it. I think I am just scared of all the emotions that will come up. I do not know, or I do know that I must move forward because there cannot be any going back for me. I found Sober Speak through my grand sponsor. She typically listens to it in the car. Well, you have a very smart grand sponsor there, Miss Cassidy. She says, I enjoy listening to it on my daily walks with my pup, Lana. Well, if you're out on a walk with your pup, Lana, right now, will you just give Lana a big hug for me and tell her that me and all the other folks in Sober Speak, the, the listeners, say hello. Anyway, she says, Brenda J., one of our guests here, is an absolutely amazing speaker. And I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to her on your podcast, Brittany W., Again, Brittany W., episode number 130, definitely resonated with me. Having a stepmother you resent from your father causing jealousy, issues with body image, and being chopped down to being small and insecure. 
Thank you for allowing me to share. I am so incredibly grateful for your podcast. It has actually made my daily gratitude list quite a few times. Oh. Uh, the message that you share is helping save people's lives. Thank you for everything, love, Cassidy. Oh, Cassidy, thank you so much. Thank you for letting me be part of your journey. I'm so appreciative of that. And you, Cassidy, are helping to save people's lives uh, by writing in, giving feedback, and also going to the meetings and being involved. And, uh, you know, we're all helping each other. Cortland writes in. Oh, and this one I love too. My goodness. He says, hey, John, so I'm currently sitting in my tractor in the middle of my pasture, and I had an overwhelming desire to reach out. I just got done listening to David G. in episode 87, and his piece about making amends to his church group and having Leonard come up behind him and hug him and say he was proud of him moved me greatly. I find myself with goosebumps, tears forming in my eyes, and a profound sense of serenity. Oh, wow. It's so weird how we, this is me just talking here before I get on with Cortland, the rest of his letter, but it is so weird to me how we transfer information nowadays. Me and David sit here and record an episode. Cortland is out there in the middle of his tractor in the pasture, and he's listening to this and having a moment unto himself. This is absolutely incredible. Anyway, Cortland goes on, The amends to my grandma for missing her last days in her funeral won't ever be complete, but I'm, a, but I'm at a good place with it. The amends with my dad, however, is something I have been blessed to be able to do. I've rarely seen my father get emotional, but his overwhelming support and sense of pride for me with what I was able to do uh, and... and with what I was able to do, what I could to, excuse me, took my breath away. And I finally got a reminder of that listening to David G. Thank you, as always, my friend, Cortland K. And I responded to Cortland and I copied David on the email and David wrote back and he said, Cortland, this is David G. David G. Uh, just in case you're listening to this, this for the first time, David G. is a... Uh, a, a prominent guest on the, the podcast. And he was, says, David says, Cortland, we are so blessed to have each other to reach out to uh, and remind us of the, the miracles that have happened in our lives. Your message, Cortland, reminds me that I have done my best in these tough situations and that my sober life is the gift that I've been given uh uh, my the, is the gift that I've given my loved ones in the world. I too have great memories of my life and my dad after my amends were made. We lived out this life as closer friends than I ever would have imagined possible. Thank you for reaching out. I always love the time I spend with John recording these talks, but hearing the effect it had on you brings a ton of gratitude. And then David invited him to some 
some meetings that we have here locally. Uh, well, I say locally, it's it's on Zoom, uh, but some to some of our uh, Frisco meetings, and uh, I'm not sure if he was able to make it yet or not. I've been on several meetings, I hadn't seen him yet, but anyway, I just thought that was a wonderful exchange. And I wanted to share it with you all. Scarlett writes in, and Scarlett posted this in Facebook. She is a great writer, and it says, if I make it to Tuesday, I'll have four months away from all the substances, other than cigarettes, (laughs) cigarettes, of course, but I'll try to kick them after this pandemic is over. (laughs) I don't blame you, Scarlett. She says, I was given this plant by my dear friend and partner and realized today that it has now been that it has now uh, has four leaves where there were, were once two. I think I had two months at the time as well, but didn't put that together. It's wild how many higher powers, how, how my higher power gives me little reminders. Sometimes I feel like I'm so far away from my goals. Today, something as simple as a plant reminded me that growth takes time. Healing takes time. As an alcoholic and an addict, I want to get instant gratification. Today, I'm learning to sit in the time between the start of an X and gratification. I'm learning to accept things the way they are in the moment while working to change them in the future. I'm growing. It takes time, devotion, some kind words of love some help from others where I can't find the right ways to water myself. This sweet little plant has had a few rough times too. I forgot about it and left it in the car for a few days after I was gifted the plant. The leaves were wilted. I had, I had, it had tipped over in the car and some soil was lost. I stumbled on the care and maintenance of the plant, and it showed the physical results of that. I stumble in other areas of my life as well. We all do, constantly. The best I can do is aim for perfection and hope I hit it somewhere near the mark. I'm going to read that again. The best I can do is aim for perfection and and hope that I hit somewhere near the mark. If you are stumbling right now and feeling down, please remember that we all stumble. We all mess up. The wonderful thing about messing up is that when we have the opportunity not to mess up the same ways again, we can learn from each, we can learn from each stumble. Remember where the cracks in the sidewalks tripped us. And while we may still trip on that same damn sidewalk a week or a day or an hour later, it can be on a different crack. Don't give up. Be grateful for the growth. Be grateful for the stumbles. Be grateful for the growth that comes from the stumbles. And remember that someone else's stumble is no better or worse than yours. When we judge others for their stumbles, We are ourselves stumbling as well. Love y'all, Scarlett. Well said, Scarlett, and thank you for posting that in the secret Facebook group. Jessica writes in, and Jessica says, 
the the title of this or the subject line I should say of the email was gratitude plus Brittany W episode number 130 and she says hi John my name is Jessica and I am an alcoholic from Ohio well we just had somebody else write in from Ohio there Miss Jessica she says I have been listening to sober speak for a while now but I have never written in well thank you for writing in appreciate that Jessica first I want to thank you for your service this podcast has calmed me and changed my perspective many times when I have felt restless, irritable, and discontent. Having your voice and the voices of other sober alcoholics in my ears really helps me, especially when I cannot go to a meeting. Now, in quarantine, I listen while taking walks with my son. Well, if you were out right now with your son, Miss Jessica, will you just kind of uh, uh, look down at him and give him a little uh, shout out from John M. and the rest of the Sober Speak listeners and say hello for us? We'd appreciate it. Anyway, she says, I am beyond grateful for you and all your guests. Well, we're grateful for you, Miss Jessica. She said the other day, I was, while I was on a walk, I listened to the episode with Brittany W. You know, folks, this is kind of a sign. If you have not listened to episode with Brittany W, episode number 130, maybe you you should go back and listen to it. Nonetheless, she says, I related to her story a lot and enjoyed listening so much when I got to the part to where she was talking about drinking while trying to be a good mom at the same time. It felt like she was telling my story. The drinking breastfeeding and frantic googling to justify that it was okay to drink while breastfeeding etc the the this aspect of my drinking is the one thing that i was so ashamed of and never wanted to tell anyone uh-huh. hearing another woman another woman describe this experience knocked me off my feet i was overwhelmed with feelings of gratitude and just cried while pushing my son in the stroller i was grateful for you john for providing a platform for people to share their stories i was grateful for Brittany for being so honest and vulnerable and i was grateful for alcoholics anonymous because i would never have a relationship with a God of my understanding, without AA. I have had moments of serenity in my 14 months of sobriety, but I can honestly say this was my first spiritual experience. Oh man, you're knocking me over. Uh, This is, uh, uh, uh. anyway, again, Thank you so much for Sober Speak. I'm so excited for the live event on Zoom coming up. God bless Jessica. Oh, Jessica, my heart is overwhelming with gratitude for you and for Brittany and the rest of the listeners. And you guys give me purpose. You give me life. You give me a reason. And I am so grateful that you are out there along with all the others. Rebecca writes in from New Zealand, the Kiwi. And the subject line says, Urban Tech Speak. And she says, Kia Ora, John, I 
think I might just be able to listen to you on your live uh, live event next week. That'll equate to 12 noon Saturday. I think me and time conversions aren't always the best of friends. <laughs> New, New Zealand time. I love Spencer's episode. She's talking about Spencer T, the one we had right before this one. It was called Steps 1, 2, and 3 of Al-Anon. And she said, it's great to get another perspective. Then she says, urban and tech speak. I thought I was up with the play because I knew what AF stood for. And what (laughs) what Rebecca's uh, talking about here is uh, somebody wrote AF on a previous uh, listener feedback, and I didn't know. I thought it could be like, you know, I've heard people say sober AF, which means sober as F, okay? And I've heard AF referred to another, but actually what this listener was talking about, it meant alcohol-free. And so uh, anyway, Rebecca's saying I knew what that stood for. But with the, ex- with the expansion of my friends of Bill W's network on social media with being in lockdown, I have stumped, I have been stumped with some new urban and text acronyms. Actually, they probably aren't new. (laughs) I just had come across them or my nieces and nephews were kind when communicated with me and they knew to use full words and sentences. (laughs) Otherwise, we'd be getting nowhere. (laughs) Big smiley face. Anyway, another friend of Bill W. put me out of my misery and recommended NetLingo. And I haven't been there yet, but uh, I'm assuming that's a website. And she says, I have that one and another Urban Dictionary bookmarked. And now she says, she usually says, Kia Ora and Nama. Oh gosh, I can't remember right off the top of my head. But this time she signs out with Ka Kite. Anyo, Rebecca T. Now, that's a new one. I don't know what Kai caught Kai Anyo mean. Now, Anyo, I believe, means uh, uh, a year in Spanish, but nonetheless, I, I don't think that's what she's talking about. So, anyway, Kai, Ka uh, Kite Anyo, right back at your <laughs> Rebecca T. <laughs> well, if it's, if it's not rude, uh, I'm assuming it's not rude. <laughs> so anyway, Tammy writes in, she says, hi, John, I live in Allen, Texas. That's right down the road there, Miss Tammy, from me. Uh, since eight, uh, I've been sober since 825-18, sober by the grace of God. Sin- oh, no, no, no. She lived in Allen since 825-18, sober by the grace of God since July 8th, 1999. Think I'm going to party like at night. 1999. She said, I had nine years. In li- now, how did I do Prince in a kind of a weird voice like that? that? That doesn't even sound right. But nonetheless, I had nine years and literally took it for granted. Woo, she says, two years of trying and finally got a date that has stuck one day at a time. I'm single with the best dog in the world. Sheltering in place has been interesting. Very grateful for the gift of sobriety. Interested in joining your Facebook group and we got her out the invite. Thank you, John. Stay sober. Tammy. 
Sean writes in and it says episode number 24 with Mary was great. Now he's going back in the archives there. He says, I'm a big fan of your podcast, listening to you from Vancouver, British Columbia. Your guests are very humble and they always give me food for thought. Mary's way of doing step 10 was especially especially engaging. So if you haven't heard of Mary, you may want to go back and listen to that. That is episode number 24. Kurt writes in and he says, hi, John, my name's Kurt. Uh, I'm an alcoholic and I am like uh, the page 21 in the big book describes me perfectly. I'm a real alcoholic. My sobriety date is 6-8 of 2000. For that, I am grateful and gratitude is an action word. Show me by actions, don't tell me. For the past eight years, I've been living in South Dakota. Prior to that, I lived in Louisiana for five years. Uh, Prior to that, I lived in Toronto, where I got sober at The Hill Group. My sponsor's name is Dan F. Sobriety for me is the number one thing in my life, and I still am willing to go to any lengths. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. It saved my life and has given me almost 20 years of bonus time. Been given that daily reprieve contingent upon my spiritual condition. Among my favorite passages in the big book is the one on pages 14 and 15. And then he says, faith without works is dead, he said, for if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he certainly could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again, and if he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. Then he says, I've been to three international conventions, 2005, 2010, and 2015, and I was looking forward to Detroit this year. Maybe, and just in case you all don't know, that one was canceled. And then he says, I may be lucky if I make it to Vancouver in 2015, God willing. I get to celebrate my birthday every five years at the state convention, and I'm going to keep doing the work necessary for my sobriety. I found you online through one of the AA members of my home group. Just found you recently. Thanks for all you do. I enjoy the speakers. I can identify with each and every one. I was always told to look for the similarities, not the differences. I had great sponsorship in this program. Keep up the great work. Keep trudging the happy road, John. I love that word, trudging. Yours in love and service, Kurt. Well, thank you, Kurt. We really do appreciate you writing in, my friend, and back at you with yours in love and service, John M. Adam writes in from rural, rural Ontario. I can never say that word. Rural, rural, R-U-R-U-A-R-U-R-A-L. And he says, good morning, John. I just listened to episode number 130, Brittany W., great speaker. Well, that's what I hear, Mr. Adam. I could identify with how she used her partners for what they had to offer her. And she gave back only fake emotions and then ran away as soon as she got scared. 
scared. I could hear my other parts of my story in hers. I replayed your opening of that episode to my fiance. Oh yeah, that's right. Cause I, cause uh, Adam, <laughs> he had requested we get Bill C on for a live event. And I read that at the beginning of, uh, uh, Brittany's, uh, episode. And I said, your wish is my command. Anyway, he says I replayed your episode of that episode to my fiance. And now my fiance thinks I'm famous. <laughs> So thank you for the shout out. Can you please send me the details of the Zoom meeting with Bill C, which is quickly approaching. I have some friends I would like to share it with. You're doing a really good job. God bless. Cheers, Adam K. Thank you, Adam. And by the way, I, I'm, I know I sent that to you, but for those of the, the rest of you who listened before Friday, May 8th, uh, you can go to www.soberspeak.com and it will be there. All right, folks, last but not least, I told you we had some good uh, listener feedback this week. She says, uh, this is from Jen, and Jen says, John, I so enjoy your podcast. I listen to them while I'm on the road and also while working out. They are a perfect supplement to my AA program. I live in Marion, Iowa. I had three years of sobriety and then relapsed back in June of 2019. I just completed residential treatment at Hazleton in Minnesota, and it was by far the most amazing experience I've ever had. I am back at home and enrolled in an outpatient treatment home. I attend, uh, I attend several AA meetings a week and have a sponsor who I absolutely love. I found SoberSpeak when searching Apple Podcasts for recovery topics. This SoberSpeak is my go-to, and I haven't found anything else like it. So thank you for all you do. These podcasts are a huge part of my recovery. Thanks again, Jen. All right, that was quite a bit of listener feedback that you guys sent in. I love it. I love you all. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I think I will be back next week. As I always say, I'm taking it one week at a time. God bless.